2020 is almost over. Come on now, that's reason to give an amen. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things sometimes that you might not necessarily think, oh, let's give an amen that the year is ending. But no, this year I'm really giving an amen that the year is ending. And so we're going to talk, we're going to talk, talk a little bit about all of this today and then what is upcoming. But here's something I want to, I want to just get into, your, get into your heart and soul this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9. Look at this verse with me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Can I tell you something? The grace of God, the grace of God has sustained us to this point, and God's grace will sustain us from this point forward. His grace is sufficient for you. In fact, His grace is more than enough for all that we will ever encounter. I'm really grateful for that. And that's something you can hold on to the end, as this year ends and as the new year begins. Well, as I was preparing for today, I, re- I was reminded of a, uh, a phrase that I came across about 15 years ago, and I want to share that phrase with you, and you see the logo that's up is Rebuild, and Rebuild is a series of messages that we begin today, and we're going to take us pra- basically all the way through Easter, and it's going to be talking from the book of Nehemiah, it's going to be a wonderful study together, I'm excited about it, but this phrase, I want, you to, I want you to capture this phrase with me. We learn from the past, we live in the present, and we look to the future. And this is a phrase that really has struck me, and I've, I, I kind of reflect, I reflected on it this week. So I want to, want to talk about it for a few moments just as we get into our, our time together. First of all, we, what are some things that I've learned in 2020? All right, here we go. I'm going to go through my list. Here we go. I have learned I don't need as much TV as I once thought I did. Now, now really, and I'm, I'm, that's a confession. I probably, I didn't, you know, I, didn't, I was watching kind of just whatever, you know, I'd channel surf, let's lay on that for five minutes, then go to something else. I don't need as much. Here's something else. I've learned that Marcy can really shop on Amazon. Man, I'm telling you, this girl is good. It's, she's good. I've also learned that I can be quite productive from home. Now, I, I kind of knew that ahead of time, but I learned more of that this year. I, I became far more productive than I have been in past years. I've also learned that I, have, I learned nothing. I learned nothing about Tiger King. Nothing. Because I didn't watch one episode. Not one. Not one. So I'm, I'm kind of proud of that, frankly. I have learned to enjoy the simpler things. Uh, long drives in a car. Just Marcy and me. We got lost in the backwoods somewhere, you know. We thought we were lost. We weren't really, but we thought we're never going to get there. It was just really special. I've also learned how much, to, how much I enjoy eating in the car. We even bought little, we got little trays for the car. So we'll go sit in a parking lot somewhere, grab the trays, pull them out, and, and eat steak and shake. You know, it's really good. You know, it's great. I've also learned that Chick-fil-A... Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out Burger really know how to do drive-through meals. I mean, they have got this thing down. It is just, I've learned that this year. I've also learned to value my friends more. I've learned to be more aware. I've learned to love my family more. I've learned to pray more. I've learned how precious church is. Can I just stop for a second? I've learned how precious church is. I've learned to trust God more. And let me just give you a little illustration of that. Uh, and I've, I've said this before, but I've got to say it again because it's just so 
It's so powerful and so wonderful. When in the beginning of 2020, we were ministering to approximately between 300 and 400 families a week at Circle of Care. Grateful for that. The great opportunity to, to touch people's lives with physical care for their needs. Since this started, we've been ministering to 12 to 1400 families a week. Now, here's the part that I want, to, I want you to hear. That I've learned to trust God more. Here's what I mean. You would think if you triple, you triple your, or almost quad, you quadruple what you've been doing, where are you going to get all this stuff? Not one day has gone by where we have not had more than enough to provide. Not only more than enough, more than enough to provide, but then we give away excess to other ministries and other food pantries around the county. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. That is to trust God, trusting God every step of the way, and he's provided. Well, I would ask you this question. What have you learned in 2020? What have you learned? So we, live, we learn from the past, we live in the present. So what are we living with? Well, we're living with COVID-19. We don't know how long this is going to last. Uh, we're, living, we're living with business closures. I have a dear friend, a friend for many, many years, who his business closed as a direct result of all of the things this year. We're living in very tense conditions in our country. We're living online more than we've ever lived. Um, we're living with a great deal of uncertainty. We're living... <laughs> Parents, you're living with homeschool, something you never thought some of you would ever do, living with homeschool. We're living with doing church differently than ever before. Uh, we, in March the 15th, we were asked to close everything down. We did, in, with respect to what was being asked of us. Five months later, we opened up. It was supposed to be 14 days, and it went five months, four months, whatever it was. So we opened up for five weeks, and they asked us to shut down again, so we did to be respectful. And they opened us up again, and then they said, shut down again. And I said, nope, not this time, we're done. And the reason that we did it, I want you to hear this, is not as an act of rebellion. It is an act of respectful pushback against what we believe is overreach. And so we're going to continue to worship as we are worshiping, unapologetically. Now, church differently, and we've been online, it's just, it's just been so different. Uh, to be frank, Nobody ever trained me to do this when I was in, you know, whatever. We're just kind of learning as we go. And God has helped us every step of the way, but it's been different. That's what we're living with. Uh, and I also want to just say this. Through all of this, I just have to say a huge thank you to every one of you. The thank you is for this, for your patience, for your participation, for prayers, and for your continued financial faithfulness. And I'm telling you today, there's another miracle here. We're poised, we're right on the edge that we'll finish this year in the black financially. And I will tell you, that's a, that's a come on, we should do a little better than that to give God thanks. That's, that's a God thing. Because here's, here's what I want you to understand. There were, there were months we were thinking, what are we going to do? Okay? You know what we did? We prayed. We prayed. And God helped us navigate so we're right on the cusp. So help us, help us finish that year, this year strong with an end of the year if to be a great blessing to us. Let me go just a little farther with the church. And here's some things that are very, very heart-wrenching for me to share. But they are what all of us need to hear. In general, 
Only about 35% of pre-COVID church attendees are still attending. One-third. Now, listen, continued. 14% have changed churches. They've just left and gone someplace else. I need to just stop for a second. I know those things happen. I get it. But it breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. Ready for this? 18, 18%, I don't know that it's a good thing or bad thing. It's just a thing. 18% are viewing multiple churches online. So, you know, kind of getting a, a wide swath of what's happening. Okay. But 32% have stopped attending altogether. That's heartbreaking. Here's one more. It's estimated that during the next 18 months, one out of five churches in America will close permanently. To put that in perspective, there are 380,000 churches in America. That equates to 76,000 churches. It's not about the building. It's about the people. It's about the people. These things are heartbreaking. These are things that we're living with, friends. We're living with this. So we, we learn from the past. We live in the present. But what are we going to do about the future? We look to the future. We look to the future. Now, last year, this last, the last Sunday of the year, preached a message titled Burn the Ships. And it was a, it was a good day. God, I think, really spoke to us strongly. And, but what I, as I was preparing, I thought, you know, I'm going to revisit that title. But, here, and there's, but I'm going to add something to it. We're going to burn the ships, but we're going to rebuild and rebuild. We're going to burn the ships and rebuild. Now, we're not going to rebuild the same ships, okay? Because where does that phrase come from? It comes from Hernando Cortez. Hernando Cortez was a Spanish conquistador who convinced 500 troops and 100 sailors to come to Mexico and conquer the Aztecs. It was for one reason. It was for their treasures. He wanted their gold. I'm not here to, to say he was a good dude because he wasn't a good dude at all. But here's what happened. He motivated his men with these three words, burn the ships. They said, what? How are we going to get home? If we go home, we go home in their ships. In other words, he was motivating them to accomplish what needed to be accomplished, to push forward and see this, see this happen. Well, so what does it look like for us? As we look to the future, there are probably some ships we need to burn, and especially this year. So here's the first ship. As we look to the future, we need to burn the ship of 2020. Talk. Okay? That needs to stop today. Okay? And that is probably the biggest ship that I have to burn. Because I get so caught up in everything that's happening, and we keep talking about it and referencing in this and this. And I'll tell you something, it drags me into places I don't need to go. So today, let's burn the ship of 2020 talk. No more. Start looking ahead to what God's going to do in 2021. And maybe we could even do this. We can put a big jar out in the lobby and put missions on it. And every time you say something about 2020, you got to drop $100 in there, huh? How about that one? Have a little bit of fun. That'd be fun. As we look to the future, we need to burn the ship of fear. Fear paralyzes us, as we know. And friends, we, have, we cannot live in fear. And I am not suggesting that we throw caution to the wind and do silly things. No, 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 no. But do not live your life in fear. God did not look. Look at what Scripture says. For God did not give us, has not given us, a spirit of fear and timidity. 
he has given us, but of power and love and of self-discipline. And then, 1 John says, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Perfect love expels fear. Do not live in fear. Burn that ship. Get beyond it. Get beyond it. But also, we need to burn the ship, as we look to the future, burn the ship of isolation. And again, I'm not suggesting we do weird or crazy things. Not at all. That's not the point. But you know something? We are not to live in isolation of each other. So what do you need to do? Text somebody. See how they're doing. Email them. Hey, make a phone call. Do one of the, you know, remember writing letters? You know, you take a piece of paper, you write words on it, you fold it up and stick it in an envelope and then mail it to, remember mail? Mail that comes in a box, you know. Do that. Connect with somebody. Don't be isolated from someone. And don't, and maybe someone else is isolated, and this would be an opportunity for them to reconnect. Something very close and akin to it is we look to the future. We need to burn the ship of complacency. Complacency. Complacency is being self-satisfied. Complacency can, can happen very easily. Let me give you an example. It's very easy to become complacent because of the online options, even of just worship, for example. I tell you, I watch worship online, but I'm never as engaged online as I am in person. Now, I understand if, you, if people are not ready to come back into a gathering. I'm, I'm with them 100%. 100%. Support that all the way. That's not the issue. The issue is if we're, if we're watching and worshiping online, then worship online. Get engaged. Be a part of it. If you're doing, you know, chat with people there. Amen. This is great. Give the thumbs up on faith. Whatever it might be, connect. Don't be complacent. Don't sit back and just observe. But engage. Don't be complacent. We also need to burn the ship of division. Division. I don't really sense that there's division. So it's really not addressing something that's present. It's more preemptive. And here's the reason. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 5 says. Be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. The enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. You see, he will use anything that he can to form a wedge to cause us to do whatever. And we need to just burn the ship. When we begin to feel like there's division happening, and you know, there's a lot of reasons for this. Should we wear masks, not wear masks? Should we do this, should we not do this? Should we gather, should we not gather? Believe me, I have heard it all. I have, as your pastor, I've heard it all. And I've heard pros, cons, and everything in the middle. We're not being a part, we're doing it. You know, it's like, okay. But it can become very divisive if we allow it to, and we should not. We need to burn the ship. Say, no. Whatever you feel, we're okay. We're going to be okay. God's going to get us through this. Why? Because his grace is sufficient. We need to stay focused on that. We need to burn that ship. We also need to burn the ship of pessimism. Pessimism is the worst possible case. I mean, that's what's going to happen. That's what pessimism is. And I said this on Christmas Eve, but I'm going to say it again. We need to be optimistic people as the people of God. We need to burn the ship of pessimism. Well, it's just things are just not going to get better. I I get it. I get it. That goes to the next one. We need to burn the ship of frustration. I could give you a list a mile long of the things I'm frustrated with, but I can't because I've already burnt the ship of 2020 talk. But I get being frustrated. So I'm going to just use the great theologian Don Henley to make this point. You go, Don Henley, who's that? He's you know, one of the founders of the Eagles. He's not a theologian, just by the way. 
but he's got a great theology here. You ready? Get over it. Just get over it and move on. Don't be frustrated. Don't be, burn that ship. Burn that ship. Did you know something? There are so many things you can do absolutely nothing about. So commit it to the Lord and move on and get over it. Just keep moving forward. Then we need to burn the ship of sin. Of sin. If there's sin that has so easily found its way into our life, burn that ship. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews tells us. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially that sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. If there's sin that has entangled your life, and I love the way the New Living translates, it says this, so easily trips us up. It does. It easily trips us up. We get tangled up in this stuff. And then we realize, oh my goodness, look where I've come. Burn that ship. We do that through Christ. If we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Burn that ship. So, as we look to the future, burn the ships. And now, let's rebuild. Let's rebuild. So pray with me if you would. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As this phrase states, that idea of burn the ships and let's rebuild, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? We're going to do this with a study through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to help us over the next three months or so. We're going to take our time working our way through the book. I have it planned out for 13 weeks. We'll see. Okay, That's all I can tell you right now. We'll see. I hope so. That would mess up my plans. If we go beyond 13 weeks, but we'll figure that out when we come to it, all right? Anyway, let's talk about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a leader's leader. That's the first thing. We just, he is just an extraordinary personality. In fact, I, uh, there's, a, there's a phrase I picked up I thought was terrific. In every generation, listen to this, in every generation, God equips trusted servants for effective leadership. In every generation. It doesn't matter when that is, God is going to raise up leaders in that generation to do what God is calling them to do. Nehemiah was all of that. He was an effective leader. He was a leader's leader. And if you will allow God to use you, burn some ships, your leadership will have influence for generations to come. And you say, Gary, that all sounds good, but I'm not a leader. Oh, yes, you are. Every one of us in this room lead in some capacity. And I want my leadership and I want your leadership to be the very best it can be. Sometimes it's going to require us to burn some ships, to burn some ships, and believe that God can use us right where we are. Nehemiah was born in Persia, and so this is where the story takes place. It takes place in, uh, far away from Jerusalem, far away from Judah. He was born in Persia. He was not a part of when, the, when Jerusalem and Judea was was destroyed. He wasn't there. He was born in captivity. So he's been raised in this very uh, ungodly environment. He was born in Persia, and he was part of King Artaxerxes' administration as a cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer is more than a butler. It's not a guy that just walks around and gives drinks and food to people. That's not what the cupbearer is. Cupbearer was a very trusted, uh, high-ranking official in a kingdom. What a cupbearer did, the cupbearer would taste the, taste the wine, taste the food before the king did. If it was poisoned, well, you can imagine, you know, goodbye to the cupbearer and long live the king. That's just, that's the way it was. So, 
the cupbearer was a very trusted part. Now think about this. Here is a young man, a young man who was born in captivity. He is not Persian, but he rises to the level of being the cupbearer to the most powerful man in the world. Artaxerxes was the guy, okay? I mean, that is just a, and because of that trusted position, the king, uh, the cupbearer had the king's ear. So he could talk to the king about things maybe that no one else. The king trusted him. He literally trusted him with his life. So there was a great relationship between the two of them. This account was written by Nehemiah. Uh, he is the one who chronicles this for us. And it was written in December of 446-445. The events that we're going to read today, that's when it took place, was December 446-445. That is 20 of you doing the math. That's 2,500 years ago. But what's so powerful about this book, the leadership principles that are here and the principles that we're going to glean from this are so appropriate to exactly what we are experiencing today. In the book, we witness different stages of Nehemiah's leadership giftings and positions. He started out as a cupbearer. He goes to like a general contractor leading the rebuilding process of Jerusalem's walls and gates. And then he becomes the governor in Jerusalem over Judea, over that province of the Persian kingdom. And then he was, he was the third prominent leader in the total rebuild of Jerusalem. First was Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel took a group of people back to rebuild the temple. Then Ezra went to Jerusalem, and he rebuilt the confidence and the authority of God's word in the lives of the people. Nehemiah comes, and he completes the process by rebuilding the walls and the gates. So that kind of sets the background a little bit for us. So reading Nehemiah chapter 1, just, three, just four verses this morning. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. One of the things you're going to discover about Nehemiah is he is a, he's a praying person. And we're going to learn about that in the weeks to come. And this starts a process in him. I don't know that he necessarily expected what he heard from one of his brothers. Now, whether this was an actual blood brother or it was just a brother, a part of uh, the Jewish society, we're not exactly sure. It could have been either one. But it reports to him what the conditions are. Sets up the scene. He is in the citadel of Susa. This is the winter palace, the fortress of Artaxerxes. Uh, he is in Susa, which is one of the capitals of the Persian Empire. So this is, in the, this is in the halls of the most powerful place in the world. This is where we find Nehemiah. So we have three things we'll talk about as we begin this rebuild journey. The first is this. When we rebuild, we need to accept our place in the story. We need to accept our place in the story. When you look at just these few simple words from Nehemiah 1, look at these words. Here's what he says. I was in the citadel of Susa. There it is. That's as simple as it gets. Who would have thunk, who would have thunk that this young man, a foreigner, would rise to the, to the position 
of one of the most trusted officials in the kingdom of Persia. But that's where he was. That's where God had him. And what I love about Nehemiah, he accepts his place in the story. Because of where he's at, he is in a unique position to do that which God will call him to do. It is so important for us to understand that we need to accept our place in the story. Every one of you here this morning are not here by accident. God has something he wants to do in you exactly where you are. There is something that is coming in 2021 that God wants to use you to accomplish. He wants you to be a part of what whatever the rebuild looks like for us as a church. He wants you to be a part of that. You are not here by accident. You need to accept, I need to accept my part and your part of that story, your place in the story. Let me give you three examples. The first one, 1 Samuel 16. So he asked Jesse, this is Samuel. He said, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Here's the youngest Of all of these boys, the most highly unlikely guy, he's out taking care of the sheep. His dad didn't even think he had enough value to even bring him to the median. And God said, go get the youngest one. I want to see him. And he was the guy. And he accomplished what God's purpose was, as we read in Acts 13. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. The point is, is that God had him uniquely placed for that time. He accepted his place in the story. There's another example. Her name is Esther. What do we read? If you keep quiet at a time like this, this is Mordecai saying, God will deliver the Jews from some other source. What's more, who can say, but that God has brought you into the palace for just such a time as this. Esther was in the right place at the right time. She was an unlikely candidate to be where she was. But nonetheless, God used her where she was. She accepted her place in the story. She said, if I die when I approach the king, then I die. So be it. Accepted her place in the story. The third example, we read in John 20, verse 18. Mary Magdalene said to the disciples with the news, went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. Why is that that incredible? Here's what's incredible about that. The first witness to the resurrection was someone who was not even a trusted witness in a Jewish court. But God chose Mary, a woman, to share the resurrection story, the first one to be the witness to this. You see, in each of these cases and in others, to accept the place in the story is to acknowledge that God has something unique for you and for me to accomplish. And then if we are obedient, as we burn the ships, as we look to the future, God will use us right where we are. What might that look like? It might be as simple as getting in a life group, leading a life group, completing growth track, finding a place to serve, committing to read the Bible through in a year, fasting and praying for 21 days coming in January, participating in the life of the church more than the national average suggests is about 30 to 40%. Being the light that God has called you to be in your home or your workplace. Listen to this. Do not minimize where God has placed you. You are exactly where he wants you. 
Remember Ephesians 5. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. The second rebuild observation this morning is that when we rebuild, we need to focus on the right things. We need to focus on the right things. Now, when you read it, what, Nehemiah, what, Nehemiah, what Nehemiah is hearing, he's talking about walls and gates and the people that are in Jerusalem. Well, there's a movie a few years ago, a number of years ago, uh, 30 years I think now, Princess Bride, Princess Bride. It's classic. If you have not seen it 20 times like I have, you may not completely appreciate it like I do. Um, our children, we get together and we use the quotes of the movie to have crazy comments and back and forth. But there's so many quotes, just over and over again. There are two characters in the film. One is named Vizzini. Vizzini is the bad guy. And then Inigo Montoya is a bad guy, soon to be good guy. Now, that's kind of a spoiler if you haven't seen the film. Anyway, in this, Vizzini uses this word, inconceivable. And he uses it again and again and again, just over and again. And it's over the top, he, the amount of time he uses it. Every time, he, it's always inconceivable. And here's what Inigo Montoya says. You keep using that word, and I don't think it means what you think it means. He was focused on the wrong things. And it takes you a whole different place when you're not focused on the right things. You say, well, Gary, what, what are you getting at? I want you to understand what Nehemiah was focused on. We look at the book of Nehemiah and we say, oh, that's all about rebuilding the walls. And it is. It's about rebuilding walls and gates. But is it really about walls and gates? Because when you look at what Nehemiah says, those who survive the wall, it's broken down, its gates are burned with fire. They are in disgrace and they are in trouble. To Nehemiah, the most important the most important idea that he is hearing, it's not about the walls and gates. It's part of it, but it's the people. It's the people that's most important. You see, as I look to the future of Crossroads Church, there are many walls and gates that we must rebuild in the aftermath of this past year. It is really important to understand as well that there is virtually nothing that we planned for this past year that we were able to do. Nothing. I mean, everything was flipped on its head. So there's a lot of rebuild. We've, we've got to rebuild missions, both internally and externally. We have, we have to build, there are facility upgrades and maintenance we did not, we could not get to. Growth track, we've got to continue that, pushing that forward. Serving opportunities, various ministries that we've got to re-engage. Connections with people, which breaks my heart. We have lost connection with so many people, I can't even find them. That breaks my heart. And we are putting things into place starting next weekend to just reconnect and rebuild that process. Our community engagement, man did I miss VBS this year. That we couldn't reach out into our community in the ways that we did. I want to tell you something. These are things that have just, they're, they're gone. They're gone. We've got to rebuild them. Why? It's not about the stuff. It's not about the projects. It's not about just quote-unquote VBS. It's not about, no, it's about the people. It's about the people that do not have an opportunity for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. When something is in disrepair, it's the tool we want to repair. Why? Not for the sake of the tool. Not for the wall or the gate. It's about the people that that tool will help bring into a place of faith in Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. And Nehemiah saw it. Our desire is to, as a church is to build people. 
is to build people. I, that's more important than anything else. It's not repairing this. It's not fixing that. It's not reading. No, it's about people. That's what Paul said. Christ chose some of us to be apostles, prophets, missionaries, pastors, and teachers so that his people would learn to serve and his body would grow strong. This will continue until we are united by our faith and by our understanding of the Son of God. Then we'll be mature just as Christ is and we will be completely like him. See, it's all about building and rebuilding. It's about the people. It's not about the walls and the gates. Nehemiah had it right. He had the right focus. We must have the right focus as we rebuild. The third observation is when we rebuild, we need to understand the challenges ahead and get busy. Now, I'm just going to say that again. We need to understand the challenges ahead and get busy. When when you look at Nehemiah's different stages of leadership, whether it was being the cupbearer or whether he was the, the builder or he was the governor, he faced, he faced difficulty at every stage. The first difficulty he faced was just how am I going to approach, <laughs> ready for this? How am I going to approach the most powerful man in the world? Now, now think about it. And you have to also understand that the period of time. We, we have the benefit, or I don't know benefit, it may not be the right word, But when you look at Nehemiah 1, you see the month of Kislev. Not a big deal. That's December. When Nehemiah actually approaches the king is months later. It's in the springtime. He literally waited all of that time in prayer, mourning, and fasting. And this was his prayer. God, give me favor in the eyes of this man. That was his prayer. And it took months for that to unfold. And that's a challenge. Well, when he became the builder of the wall, he was facing opposition from all of the enemies of, of Judah all around him. They were opposing him every step of the way. They even tried to lure him into traps to kill him. They were trying to discredit anything that he did. Then he became the governor, and it just continued. It was amped up even more. Every step of the way, there was opposition, there was trouble, there was difficulty. We have to recognize that as we face 2021, there are some challenges ahead of us. There's no doubt. March 15th, when we closed down, we faced all kinds of challenges. None of them were particularly catastrophic, but there was just one on top of another. Financial challenges, but God's been faithful. I'm grateful for that. So uh, here's what I want you to see. Every challenge... God is there to make, up the, to make up what is needed. We faced relational challenges. What do I mean by that? I told you earlier that about 14% people nationally have changed churches. We're not exempt to that. We've had people who've just changed churches. Okay, I get it. But nonetheless, it's a challenge that you face when individuals who are a part of you and were serving or they were just part of the worship experience They're no longer here. That's a challenge. We face some political challenges. Now, what do I mean by that? Do I mean the national politics? No, I don't mean that. That's another animal all its own. I'm not going to talk about 2020, remember? So I can't, I'm not going there. I've burned that ship. That burns, the thing is embers now, all right? What I mean by that is to to meet or not to meet in person. Masks or no masks. These are questions that people are asking. Why are you doing this? I've had meetings. I've had to have conversations. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing that? Why aren't you doing this? What about that? 
Those are the political challenges. I don't think those are going to go away anytime soon. I'm not going to allow them to create division. Why? Because we're going to burn the ship of division. We're not going to let the enemy have a foothold in any way, shape, or form. We're not going to do it. We're going to face this with grace. We're going to face this with kindness, but we're going to face this head-on as we look to the future to rebuild. So there are challenges that we're facing as we move into 2020, but 2021. But here's what happened. Here's what happened. I want you to, I want you to get, I want you to smile at me. Here's what happened in 2020. We faced every challenge. We rolled up our sleeves. We got busy, and God still is on. God is still at work among us. God hasn't left us. And I believe that God wants to do that even more as we move into 2021. Listen to this. When Nehemiah started this process, and this moves us down the road a little bit. We'll talk about this later in the, in the year. So you move on to chapter 2. Here's what you read. He has already got permission from the king, so now he's back in Jerusalem. All right? And here's what he reads. He, he, he does something really cool. He goes to Jerusalem, and he doesn't let anybody know why he's there. Okay? He doesn't let them know. He just says, I want to give me a few horses and some of the people, and let's, let's just ride around the city. And this is my interpretation. So they rode around the city, and they in between the rubble and all of this stuff. And now we read verse 17, chapter 2. Then I gave them my report. Face it. We are in a bad way. Jerusalem is a wreck. Its gates are burned up. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and not live with this disgrace any longer. I told them how God, how God was supporting me and how the king was backing me up. They said, we're with you. Let's get started. They rolled up their sleeves ready for the good work. So here's what I'm asking. Are you ready? To rebuild requires all of us rolling up our sleeves and getting to the good work. So would you figuratively or proverbially speaking, roll up your sleeves and let's get to work rebuilding what God wants us to rebuild as we face a new year. Amen? So as we bring our time to a close this morning, what are some of the 2020 ships you need to burn? What are they? Maybe if you're like me, I could probably find a dozen of them in there or more. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's just the 2020 talk. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. Maybe it's frustration. You know, can I be, I'm just going to tell you one of them. I'm frustrated that it's difficult, it's difficult for me to see businesses closed on every street. That's very difficult for me. It's difficult to, for me to know that small business owners have, who have invested everything have nothing at this point. That's, hurt, that's frustrating. But you know, there are some things I can't do anything about. And I do have to commit it to God. If I can do something, that's why we're trying to support small business in every way that we can to help those who are still there. That's one way to do it. That's a way of overcoming frustration. But we need to burn that ship. We need to burn the ship of fear. There are so many ships that we need to burn. We also... We need to remember to find your place in the story. What does that look like for you? I had someone ask me after first service, Gary, I don't, I don't know exactly what to do. Here's how I would respond to that. He's saying, I want to find my place in the story. I really do want to understand focusing on the right things. I really do want that. I, I'm all over this. I, I, want to, I want to get busy, but I'm not exactly sure where or how. Here's what you got to do. You got to do what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah did one thing. He wept. 
He mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. And when that was concluded, he went to the king. And the king said, Nehemiah, why do you look like you look? Well, king, and he bowed his head at that moment and he prayed this prayer. God, give me favor right now. And Nehemiah poured it out and the king says, what do you need? How much? You got it. Go get him. I'm going to tell you, God was going to answer that prayer. He's going to help you find the place in the story. He's going to help you focus on the right things. He is going to help you figure out how to get busy as we look ahead to the future. And then, I would just ask this question. Are you willing to roll up your sleeves and get busy? My hope and my prayer is yes. Father, thank you for your day, for your word this morning. In these moments where we now worship you and come together and pray, speak to us, Lord. We're listening. Speak into our lives, we pray. And help us rebuild as we move forward into 2021. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you would. All around the room, stand with me. All right, got one question for you. And I'm going to do something that I just can't wait to do. I just cannot wait to do what I'm going to do. Are you ready? Get ready, because this is pretty spectacular stuff right now. I'm stepping out of lights. I can't take it no more. All right. (laughs) Wonderful. I can actually see your faces now. And they are marvelous. Even with masks on, you guys look great. Okay, awesome. All right, here's what we're going to do. Real simple. Just keep your eyes looking towards me. Don't let me close your eyes. Don't do anything like that. Just want to look at you. Say, you know, Gary, <laughs> I got a few ships that I need to light a match to those ships right now and get those things on fire. I need to burn some ships. Are you going to join me in that? I got some stuff. I got some stuff. I need to burn some ships. And honestly, it's not me burning them. It's me recognizing them and saying, Holy Spirit, Set it on fire. Set it on fire. No more. Burn this thing up. If it's sin in your life today, if there's sin in your life today, please understand this is the best place you can be because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're saying, man, my life is such a wreck. It's a mess. I'm kind of like the broken down walls and gates of Jerusalem. It's a wreck. We are in trouble. You couldn't be in a better place. Why? Because what you sense is not condemnation, but it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit who loves you. God loves you so much that he would just put his hand and say, come back to me. Get in right relationship with me. That's the best place you can be. That's really how you begin to find your place in the story. It's coming to grips with the fact that, hey, man, I have messed up. God, I have messed up big time. But you know something? God's grace is sufficient for you, for everything you and I have ever done. His grace is bigger. So what ships do we need to burn? What do we need to burn? As we pray, as I pray in a moment, I want you to just declare that to the Lord. God, it's the ship of frustration. It's fear. It's sin. Forgive me, Jesus. Maybe it's ship I didn't even name, but it's there. Maybe it's just like me, the 2020 talk. You just got to stop. That's my ship. It's my ship. So whatever it might, whatever it is, let's just confess that to the Lord as we pray. So bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lift your hands if you have a ship to burn. Jesus, you see us this morning. Our hands represent our hearts. We're just acknowledging, Lord, that we have some ships, 
Set them on fire in the name of Jesus. Light a match to this mess and burn it up. Lord, if it's fear, I pray that the love of God would just expel the fear in Jesus' name. If it's frustration, Lord, I pray that we just get over it. Get over it. And we would start looking to you. There are some things we just can't do. So we trust, we commit this to you. We trust you. Lord, maybe it's just the 2020 talk. It's almost like negative self-talk. I don't like, I talk a lot negatively about myself. Lord, I want to just stop that, but I want to stop talking about 2020. I want to start looking ahead. If it's pessimism, Lord, I pray that you'd set that thing on fire and let me begin to look optimistically to the future because you are a God of the future. You are not a God of failure. You're a God of victory. You're a God of optimism, and I pray, Lord, that I live that way. Burn that thing up. Burn that pessimism up. Lord, burn the complacency out of my life. Lord, but in Jesus' name, set it on fire. Lord, burn isolation out of me. Let me connect with those that I need to connect with so that they know how much they're loved, how much they're cared for. Lord, we thank you that you can set these things on fire today. And Lord, most of all, if it's sin today, we confess our sins to you. Jesus' name. Would you all just say that with me? Jesus, say that with me. Jesus, I confess to you. Come on, everybody in the room. Jesus, I confess to you my sin, my failure, my shortcomings. Forgive me in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, hear that prayer. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We acknowledge that today. We say thank you. We set that, 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 that ship on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let it be so. And now, Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray this morning that we'd find our place in the story. We'd focus on the right things. And, Lord, we'd roll up our sleeves and get busy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Look to, this, look to me for just a moment. Look this way for just a moment. I wonder... Would you be willing with me to just say this? I don't know what it looks like yet because I'm going to spend these next, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to really, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. God, you got to help me. What's, what's the right thing to focus on? I got to find that. I want to know what my place in the story is. I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's something you're not even considering at this moment. Maybe it's something you're doing, but I just need to reconnect with that in a way that I haven't done in a while. I need to be a part of that in a different way than I have been. I don't know what that looks like for you individually, but would you be willing, just like those who accompanied Nehemiah running around the wall, to let's get after this, start this good project. Let's get after this. Would you just say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get busy. Would you do that? Jesus, thank you. Speak life to us. And then give us the right focus. Help us find the place in the story, wherever that is, wherever that might lead us. And Lord, we're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to understand that there are going to be difficulties along the way. But we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to get busy for this good work. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.